You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Um, we are uh, uh, continuing on our topic of what's the point of Judaism, going uh, um, you know mitzvah by mitzvah, and uh, talking about um, what the uh, purpose, objective of of uh, been uh, uh, commanded a particular mitzvah is. And we've been following, roughly speaking, the the pattern or the trajectory of the weekly Torah portion. Uh, since we have uh, just finished the weekly Torah portions and started again, we'll uh, we'll go back to the beginning uh, in uh, uh, in our in our study of uh, uh, what's the point of the commandments. Uh, and that's fine because we haven't uh, uh, gone through much of uh, Genesis and, and Exodus. Um, and uh, so there's a lot to look at here. Remember, we're studying in Sefer Achinuch, at least as our jump-off point, which is a 13th century uh, um, a Spanish text uh, that uh, deals primarily in um, a uh, condensed halacha uh, maaseh, which means a practical law. So it, it outlines the various steps uh, of of how to perform each of these mitzvot uh, in, in in real life, uh, and then uh, but adds in something that's I think really important and what what, why, what we're interested in uh, is uh, what what. Uh, according to the author, the rationale is behind a given commandment, why this would have been given. So that's our jumping off point to see what he says and then see what we have to say about it. Uh, as Lou pointed out before, there are not a lot of commandments in uh, in Sefer Breshit, in the book of Genesis. Um, uh, without uh, Lou saying, and maybe, uh, I don't know, there weren't that many people here when Lou said it, anybody know how many commandments there are in the book of Genesis? Anybody want to guess how many commandments there are in the book of Genesis? one. Okay, there is, there's at least one, that's true. Abe was here when I, when Matt Simon taught Sefer Ha, and, and the canna was here. So. Uh-huh. Oh, Matt Simon. Yeah, that's So, uh, there are three commandments in the book of Genesis, in all the book of Genesis. Um you were, You were close. Right, that's right. That's, if this is the prices, right, you would be in the showcase. All right, man, <laughs> so there's there's this one that we're going to study today, Piria uh, Virivia, which means uh, being fruitful and multiplying. The second one is Brit Nila, which we'll find in uh, in, in uh, Parshat Lachacha, and then uh, the final one is uh, the Gid Hanasha, which is the sciatic nerve that we're not supposed to eat, um, which is in Parshat Vayetze. So we'll look actually at all of those. All those I think are 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 uh, are practical in today's observance of Judaism and. Um, uh, interesting uh, to think about why those things would have been uh, uh, commanded. The first one, in a way, makes a lot of sense, and in a way, doesn't make any sense at all. Okay, so the first one is uh, is puriyavarivia, uh, which means uh, being fruitful and multiplying. First commandment that the human beings are given in the Torah. Um, interestingly, uh, another group of creation are given commandments before human beings in the Torah. The rest of the animal kingdom um, are given the exact same commandment just a few verses beforehand in the Torah. Um, so what's interesting about this commandment is that it's not unique to humanity. It also applies to uh, the animal kingdom as well. They have a commandment too, which is uh, uh, Peru or Vu, um, which 
suggests one that uh, that uh, uh, contrary to uh, um, the imposition of much medieval philosophy onto uh, what the Bible actually says, um, the Torah I think is very uh, sensitive and, and was in a lot of ways ahead of its time in placing humanity in the context of the animal kingdom. Um, uh, medieval philosophy didn't as much, or at least saw humanity as being um, uh, more like little lower than angels, more than a little bit above apes. Uh, and Darwin challenged that. Um, I think the Torah is a lot more sensitive to the Darwinian view than we than uh, we would have given it credit for, um, anticipating it by by many millennia, and and placing humanity in the context of our animal ancestors. So. Um, there's there's that piece that I want to point out, and the other, which is uh, an important one, uh, that uh, um, that it is noted, um, and some countries have taken very radical steps to address this issue, uh, that, uh, that that human population growth is uh, more of a problem than a blessing. Now, the studies just came out of the uh, Jewish community, the Pew uh, Research Forum just did a new study. Um, it, it turns out that uh, that population growth among the Jewish people is a little bit more challenging in, in particular, uh, but in the broader human population, uh, population growth is not at all a challenge. In, in fact, it's a, the opposite. It's a challenge that we're growing so much. Um, and, uh, and so it, it poses an interesting question when it comes to this commandment of, uh, of uh, being fruitful and multiplying. At what point um, do we say that this commandment maybe shouldn't be operative anymore because it's dangerous and uh, counterproductive for humanity to, uh, to be fruitful and multiply uh, on the face of the earth, and uh, that it threatens the ability of other creatures to fulfill their commandments, right? So our commandment to be fruitful and multiply, as we expand and populate the earth, we cut down populations of, uh, uh, of uh, indigenous uh, environments uh, and also species, right? So as humans expand, uh, we threaten other species uh, and their ability to live and thrive and populate as well. So if, if, we're, if we, all of us in the animal kingdom, have this commandment, um, should we be sensitive to the fact that our observance of the commandment might impinge on the ability of other species in the animal kingdom to observe their commandment, and how do we navigate that? So that's a, a question to bear in mind uh, uh, with this. They don't um, worry about us. <laughs> that is true. They don't worry about. Well, they do worry about us in in the sense that they're that that uh, that um, that we're a threat to them. Um, but uh, you're right. They're not. They're not. They're not family planning around us. That's right. That's true. Um, <laughs> that's true. Um, so maybe we shouldn't care. Although the you know one of the things that the Torah. And I think uh, the Jewish tradition does say about humans is that with uh, with, with with enhanced um, consciousness comes greater responsibility. Right. So the fact that we we know our impact um, that might give us more responsibility to mitigate our impact, um, whereas they don't know their impact in the same way. So that doesn't give them the same kind of responsibility. How do, how do we know they understood the uh, commandment? The so one way of looking at the commandment is uh, is that, um, and this really calls into question how it can be considered a commandment, um, but that uh, that it's talking about uh, the creation of a biological drive, right? That God implants within us the uh, um, and within all animals the the drive to reproduce, which raises what I wanted to, um, uh, a question that I wanted to raise to all of us here, which is um, often 
I would say 99% of commandments, maybe except for this one, um, are all things that are in some ways um, uh, um, uh, run counter to nature, things that we wouldn't otherwise have done. Right, so there are things that uh, you know, even things like uh, you know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kidnap, thou shalt not steal, um, are are all things that were we not, you know, reason tells us that we shouldn't do those things. But there are lots of biological urges that many of us have to do really nasty things, right? And so the commandments come to to uh, push back against um, uh, drives that all human beings have, right? Um, or to encourage drives that we don't have. Um, but this one is a really unique one in the sense that it's encouraging us to do what we would have done naturally, we, one would think. Uh, and animals too, right? That's exactly the, the point. Why do animals need to be commanded to, uh, to be fruitful and multiply? Anybody who's ever seen animals in the wild knows that they don't necessarily need to be commanded to do that. Although animals in captivity in some, some senses do. So, But they didn't have zoos back then, as far as I know. Um, so um, it's a it's I think a really um, interesting question is uh, is why why we're commanded something that we would have done anyway and one answer to that is that it's not really a commandment that it's a, that it's a description of a, a part of creation God creating us physically and also uh, um, emotionally psychologically what we're what we have propensities to do um, so that's a, that's one thing to keep in mind in, in looking at this here's what the Sefer Achinuch says. So the root of this commandment, so that the earth will be populated. Because God, may be blessed, uh, wants uh, the earth to be populated. God didn't create the earth as tohu, God didn't create the earth as chaos. God created it, fashioned it uh, for, uh, uh, to, be, to be inhabited. So this is a really important mitzvah um, uh, that uh, uh, um, by virtue of which all other mitzvot in the world are fulfilled. You can't fulfill any other mitzvot unless there are people to fulfill the mitzvot. Right? And there can't be people to fulfill the mitzvot unless there is uh, a, an act of repopulation, regeneration going on. Because the Torah was given to human beings and not to angels. Alright, so that's the, uh, that's the uh, uh, notion of Sefer HaChinuch, that, uh, um, that we're given this commandment because God wants a populated world, and all the commandments um, uh, reside, um, are predicated on the notion that there are people to, to observe them. And then the last statement is, uh, is a really... I think critical one, um, which is that the Torah was given to human beings and not to angels. I want to suggest that that is um, one of the primary reasons that we're given this commandment, even though it's something that we would have had anyway. It's to remind us that uh, that that uh, um, that the the it's to remind us that uh, um, uh, exactly of our place in the in the sphere of being. And um, and what that means for our various responsibilities and our various roles and limitations. Um, 
so what that what that means is that uh, um, uh, that we should know we're uh, we don't have free run of the of the earth, right? We're not we're not angels. We're not, uh, and also that we are not perfect like angels, right? So that uh, we shouldn't expect to be perfect. That we should not. Uh, um, there are there are people that would argue that the religious life uh, should be about the uh, the abandonment of uh, of of our uh, human or or you could say animal drives. Right, all of them, right? Um, and so, what this is saying is that no, what what uh, what the Torah is about, what Judaism is about, is saying that uh, that that it's precisely because you're a human being that uh, that you that you get the Torah, and so you need to balance your your humanity, your your biology, with uh, with with a with a drive to be uh, to to become and pursue the the godly, the righteous, the just. But it is not a uh, an abandonment of, uh, of of your physicality that uh, that that um, uh, that uh, the Torah is about that Judaism is about. Um, so uh, so I think that that's part of it. Is is not that it's commanding something that we would have done otherwise, but it's saying um, in order to become close to God, you specifically don't jettison the things that you would have done otherwise. You um, you elevate them. You make them holy acts. You make them acts of partnership with God. You make them. You uh, you you raise your physicality, but you don't abandon your physicality. So I think that that's a big part of this. Um, the other is that uh, um, uh, uh, that um, in a uh, so the, the the rabbis interpret the commandment to mean that a person is obligated to have uh, to have children until they have one boy and one girl um by the way women classically are not obligated for the commandment of uh, being fruitful and multiplying only men um uh, uh, that's a uh, whole really separate disgusted like <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's a it's 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 a separate conversation, uh, but uh, um, it's actually in some ways uh, um, uh, helpful. Separate is right. What? Separate is right. Separate is right. <laughs> it's in, in some ways, I think that the rabbis in that in that regard were were trying to be um, helpful to women um, in in the sense of uh, you, you know if your wife is not uh, producing children, it's not grounds for divorce, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, also, because if you don't have a boy and a girl, it's not. Right. So it's not something. But what it's what it's ultimately saying then is that you're you're obligated to continue trying until you can't try anymore. Um, right. So until either you have a boy. Uh, <laughs> um, well, fortunately, for, so fortunately for you guys, you don't have that obligation, right? So um, so what it's saying is in a in a system in a system in which men could marry more than one woman. Right. What it means is that I don't have to keep on trying with the same woman and keeping her pregnant all the time, all the time, all the time. Right. Um, it, now, we bristle against that in in a monogamous culture, and I think rightly so. But uh, but but uh, the way the rabbis conceived of things in a culture in which you could marry more than one woman, it was beneficial to women to not have the commandment um, uh, obligatory on them. It's much easier for men to keep trying than for women to keep trying. Right. Um, so that's uh, that's something worth considering. But the other piece of it, um, why we're commanded uh, um, and uh, and why the commandment works the way it does, is that uh, um, uh, if uh, if it were not the case, especially in in, in uh, ancient medieval cultures, families would have stopped at having a male, 
right? Um, they would have been the natural. Once you have a male heir, right, uh, that's where your property is going to go to. That's going to carry on your family name. That's going to be the person responsible, right? Uh, people would have likely stopped at male heirs. So to say that you're commanded to uh, to be fruitful and multiply, and what that means is you have to at least replace the parents' population, if not surpass it. Then that means you have to have a boy and a girl. It means that you can't just limit yourself to that uh, to, to that one child. Um, so so that I think is part of this too. That uh, that that biologically we're not. I mean, men in some ways are are, are programmed to you know to to have uh, um, a, a lot of children biologically, um, but uh, but but socially um, we're, we're we we mitigate against that uh, that programming by saying that uh, um, that it's. That, that we've really fulfilled what we wanted to do by having uh, 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 one, one child, especially when it's one son. Um, so the commandment to be fruitful and multiply um, is saying that you know you need to have multiple children. Um, the commandment by the rabbis is understood as two. Um, Rabbi uh, Elliot Dorf recently wrote a tshuva for the conservative movement's law committee saying that uh, we should expand the commandment to be three children um, to uh, a, the third child should be a mitzvah child um, to uh, not only um, replace the parents but surpass the parents um, to encourage Jewish population growth um, and then he also argues that it could be a mitzvah to have a fourth child uh, in honor of the victims of the of, of the Shoah and, and uh, Israeli terror. And how many children does this rabbi? Rabbi Dorf has four, if I'm not mistaken. Indeed, that makes some sense. So far, now, so far, yeah. I think he's from Iraq originally. He, or either either he is, or one, or, or his wife is, yeah, um, or one, or certainly one of his uh, uh, in children-in-law. I think is. I met him um, over at Beth Shalom, so he's got Philadelphia connections. Oh yeah. Um, by the way, Rabbi Dorf, if you're listening to this in cyberspace, happy belated 70th birthday. Um, uh, he's done. So he's having he's done. He's done having He's, he's done for now. Um, I don't know. So what's, what's really, I'll just tell you a, a brief aside. Um, I was in rabbinical school when Rabbi Dorf uh, wrote that tshuva and or passed that tshuva, and it's a it's a really uh, wonderful tshuva. You can it's published, I think, already at least on the RA website, and you can look at it. Um, but there was a uh, there's a, a a a liberal Jewish blog called Jew School, um, which is a fun blog to read at, from time to time, and uh, there was a great post right after that uh, saying Rabbi Dorf, get out of my uterus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was a whole argument. No, the the purpose of that was a really important purpose, which is if you're going to say that uh, um, that it's a mitzvah to have that many Jewish children, then then you also have to um, uh, reconstruct uh, how the Jewish community is is organized. Right? It means that you have to make synagogues a lot more kid kid friendly than synagogues tend to be. It means that you have to make Jewish education a lot less expensive than Jewish education tends to be. Um, you have to make the accommodations that are necessary and, and uh, so that kids, so that people can have that many children because it's very hard to have that many children in this day and age, especially if you want them to have a rich and full Jewish life. Kosher food is very expensive, right? You want me to have four kids and put food in their mouths, let's drop the price of kosher food. The Orthodox don't seem to have a problem with that. Um, so, the, so the, right. So the, the the truth about that is the Orthodox get a lot right in that regard. Some don't have a problem with that. There are a lot of Orthodox Jews who live in in poverty, um, but uh, but but uh, in the Orthodox world, Jewish education is far less expensive. 
Um, uh, synagogues tend to be much more kid-friendly and boisterous and, and noisy. Yes. Um, uh, there's, a, um, there's, there's much more of a culture of, uh, of communal support for each other's kids. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's much, it's more of a village, right? That, that it takes a village mentality is much more present. They, 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 you know, um, for all that we could say about, um, uh, 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 about the Orthodox, that's one thing that they've, uh, that they've really gotten right. And now, uh, the rest of the Jewish world for, for all, um, for all the benefits of our uh, approach to Judaism, um, it's one thing that we've lost, I think, and, and missed out on that, that they've gotten right. So it's a, um, a really major thing. Um, but, uh, but I think that uh, going back to the original um, uh, commandment, I think that, the, that that's, um, you know, thinking of that it's sort of a weird commandment to be commanded what we would do biologically anyway, um, knowing that it's commanding us to go beyond what we actually might be programmed to do, I, I think uh, gives a little bit more um, uh, rationality to it. Has anyone um, interpreted this as a reason against war and against? Because mm. it seems to me that um, that commandment means that everyone, every person on earth, has that commandment. Mm-hmm. So I can't um, at all obstruct that commandment. Yeah. Um, I can't mm. kill that person. I can't stop them from having children mm. um, because because it's equal to everyone. And if the angels had gotten had been given that, they would have been looked at as rulers above. Mm. But it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that everyone can fulfill that commandment. Mm. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, there's a, there, there's a whole bunch there. Um, on the one hand, it, uh, it, it gives a lot of, um, um, I think, credibility um, to the, to the uh, quote-unquote right-to-life argument um, and that, uh, that society should um, um, protect the rights of the, uh, of the unborn. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I agree with that. <laughs> I, 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 but but uh, you could, one one could see, one could see one could see how how it could right that 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 socially we need to create conditions to um to encourage childbirth um and uh, no yeah. you have to no uh, well I, I look at it as you have to encourage conditions to fulfill that for everyone to fulfill that commandment right. to have. Two, two children or whatever mm-hmm. to replace yourself, but once you've done that, yeah. um, then the right to life and all that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I, I hear, I, I shouldn't I, say too much. Yeah, you no, know, no, no, um, I, I won't use your name. Um, no, I, I, uh, I, 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 listen, I, you know. Uh, Everyone on this table, I'm sure, knows that, that that I hear what you're saying. I, I'm just I'm just saying that. Uh, um, but I think that's an interesting. Uh, but the the other piece of it that I was going to say, which is uh, what uh, uh, what people who tend to um, support um, uh, right to life kinds of uh, um, uh, legislation and ideology. Um, don't do it on the other end, which is they, they tend to. They also tend to be simultaneously very hawkish on uh, military policy and things like that. And it's a very interesting um, uh, 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 contradiction um, that uh, that that the right to life in one area, but not in another area. Um, and I think that this suggests that you need to be right to life if, in both areas, right? Um, 
So that's a really important uh, important thing, and it also I, I think um, gives a lot of credibility to uh, to a notion that uh, that again this is going back to the Rabbi Dorf get out of my uterus thing that that uh, we have an obligation to create the conditions that help people have children, right? And we we have we as a society here and in a lot of places in the world um, really haven't done that very well. Um, it's really hard to uh, have a uh, um, have more than one child, and is why m- many people in our culture don't have more than one child. Um, Jews and non-Jews. I mean, Jews outside of the Orthodox world. This Jewish population survey said I, I think that the, the the birth rate paralleled the rest of the. Um, it was something like you know, like one point one point six percent or something like that, um, which is not replacing the population outside of the Orthodox community. Um, you know, and and part of the reason for that is that is because um, um, we we tend to live now in uh, two income families, and, and even then it's hard to make ends meet for a lot of people, and it's also hard to raise a lot of kids in two income families because both parents are working. Um, it, it, it's, uh, costs of living have gone up, and wages have stayed stagnant in our society. I mean, there's there's not you know people the, just marry later. I was going to say people ma- you, you forget people, people in the Jewish pe- population they're getting higher education. That's true. That's that, they can't have children. So that's that's true too, and uh, and and that's and that's in part a uh, um, a, um, a social thing that we've set up as well. Um, so uh, uh, we we haven't we haven't reinforced uh, a a culture of uh, of of, of um, marrying young. We actually. Uh, my parents actively encouraged, well, at least my dad actively encouraged me to uh, to marry later, um, and uh, and and uh, there's there's logic behind that, um, but also not logic behind that because it means that if you want to have a a sizable family, it's much harder the, the older you get. Uh, you know, and th- that's one of the things Rabbi Dorf argues in his paper is that uh, is that people should aim to marry younger um, and therefore increase the chances that they'll have uh, more more children. Now, I just have to add one other thing in this conversation, which is uh, um, on issues of uh, of fertility. Um, so the the commandment. Uh, uh, yeah, what's the carryover at the bottom of the page? We don't have that. Um, he doesn't fulfill oh, it. Is, sorry, anyone who fails to fulfill it disobeys a positive precept, and his punishment is very great. For he shows personally that he does not want to fulfill the wish of the. That's, but that's for people who have the choice to fulfill it and choose not to. Um, the people who don't have a choice to fulfill it um, obviously don't fall into that category. Um, so, so if you, if, if for, for either for the first of all, since the commandment is not a commandment on women, uh, it means that uh, that. Uh, Female fertility and infertility doesn't uh, qualify in here, um, and so there's there's uh, there, there shouldn't be any sense of guilt or shame uh, that uh, for 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 women not being able to fulfill, fulfill this commandment. Um, I think that that's one way in which that area of non-egalitarianism is helpful. Um, but uh, uh, but for but for men too, if there's male in, male. Uh, generated infertility uh, that uh, that that also there shouldn't be guilt or shame because uh, that's that's in some cases the way biology works um, so uh, so the, we're not obligated to however um, if uh, the the Jewish tradition I think would encourage uh, people who can to uh, to, uh, to 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 try various methods of uh, of increasing fertility um, if they can, uh, but not to feel um, uh, um, guilted or shamed into doing that because they tend to be very difficult and very expensive. Um, 
to create Jewish communal structures to help people um, do that if they want to, right? So, um, so there should be Jewish communal funds uh, to, uh, to, to help Jews who want to have children, who can't otherwise have children, have children. Um, and also to encourage adoption. Um, and that's one way. Uh, it doesn't fulfill the commandment of uh, being uh, of pru or vu, uh, but it does, I think, uh, fulfill other mitzvot. Um, and, uh, um, and, and I think that it's something that certainly um, Jewish families who, uh, who, who have trouble conceiving um, uh, um, uh, should, uh, should feel very uh, encouraged to consider. And, uh, and any and all stigmas that uh, may have at one point been attached that should, we should actively try as a Jewish community to, uh, to remove. Uh, and even families who don't have trouble conceiving and, and have fulfilled their biological obligations to, to um, uh, conceive according to the Torah should consider um, uh, adoption as a really uh, important thing because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of children who are born that uh, that that need loving homes uh, that uh, um, that that don't have them and, and coming from a background um, in which I've been personally touched uh, by adoption in very close ways I can tell you um, and I say this not necessarily for the people around this table but anybody who might be listening in cyberspace that it is a uh, a mitzvah of the highest order um, if it's a, if it's a possibility uh, and something that uh, that that uh, we should celebrate the decision of, uh, of of couples who choose to do that and celebrate those children um, uh, specifically um, so I want to include that in this conversation as well um, and now I open the floor to your thoughts about uh, the uh, the technology of this commandment uh, is does it does it work does it not work uh, what do you see the One thing is that women uh, since they they don't have it's not incumbent on them to, to create uh, they are the ones who are allowed to have contraception, not the man. That's right. That's right. Uh, classically speaking, that's true. Um, now it's an interesting. It's a, it's a uh, very complex issue of uh, in, in contraception in the Jewish tradition, and 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 uh, in some ways, um, it's hard to see the difference between certain kinds of female contraception and certain kinds of male contraception, and there are varying degrees, I won't get into uh, them in detail now, there are varying degrees of, of acceptability in, in most um, legal opinions of, uh, of kinds of contraception. But yes, you're right, uh, that uh, the, the generally preferred methods of contraception are... are, uh, are, are um, um, yeah, incumbent on females, right? So, so what is the saying in monogamous monogamous society about infidelity? Can you say a little bit more about the well, question? Well, if yeah. a man is not need, needs to fulfill that commandment, and if a woman can't help him fulfill that commandment, yeah. then what happens? Well, right. And so there aren't children for adoption. <laughs> well, first of all, there are always children for adoption. Uh, not, not, in some societies, actually, that it's very difficult. That, that's true. I've, I've been touched um, by that, and it's... Yeah. Um, that, that's true. That's true. Um, and by the way, uh, we didn't even get into uh, gay and lesbian couples uh, here, um, uh, and uh, and a lot of what I previously said before I opened up the floor about uh, um, um, different kinds of uh, fertility arrangements and uh, um, uh, and 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 adoption. I think should uh, apply to those couples as well, and and the Jewish community should actively support the uh, the, the building and growing of Jewish families in whatever uh, way, shape, or form. Um, so, uh, and that applies, I think, to those couples as well. Um, listen, it, you know, I, I don't know about infidelity, but I think what it, what it uh, does say is that um, um, uh, couples should consider um, 
uh, a range of possible options for uh, for having children, um, if it's at all possible. Um, so you know, uh, for example, um, uh, surrogacy um, uh, is uh, there. There are opinions, especially in the Orthodox world, that surrogacy is uh, is is uh, um, uh, uh, on par with with adultery. Uh, in the conservative movement, yeah, in the conservative movement, um, uh, I, I did a, I, I did a, uh, a, a very, it, it, the arguments are, are interesting. I don't agree with them, but they're interesting arguments. Um, Rabbi Dorf, who's, who's really staked out a, a position of, uh, of expertise on a lot of these kinds of issues, uh, wrote a, a very uh, lengthy response in the early 90s, I believe. Um, it was about, uh, about, uh, um, uh, surrogacy and IVF and uh, um, uh, and and, and uh, all those uh, uh, egg donation and, uh, and sperm donation, etc. Uh, and so, and, and it's a range of complicated issues. But it, uh, basically, what he says is that uh, um, surrogacy is not, a, as the Orthodox say, is not a form of adultery. Um, and uh, and so, couples who, um, who who can't otherwise conceive um, can consider surrogacy, surrogacy as a as a viable um, uh, uh, option. Can consi- can consider uh, sperm donation um, as a viable option. Uh, can consider egg donation as a viable. Uh, as a viable uh, uh, option. Does that get into questions of who was a Jew, though? Uh, it does get into questions of who, who was a Jew. I, I won't uh, uh, attempt to address all those issues here, but but uh, um, wow. but in you know, so I actually um, recently uh, uh, dealt with a, 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 an issue of uh, of of, uh, of uh, sur- there's a difference uh, in the terminology between surrogacy and um, what's the other term um, gestational carrying. Uh, and I can't remember which one applies to which, but I, I believe it was an issue of, uh, of surrogacy. The 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 the, the birth mother, uh, the surrogate mother, was not Jewish, um, which meant that even though the the uh, egg that was donated was from a Jewish mother and the sperm that was donated was from a Jewish father, the child born. Uh, I, I consulted Rabbi Dorf about this. The child born uh, was technically not Jewish because it follows uh, um, uh, where where the child came from, uh, and so what it meant is that the child had to be brought to the the mikvah and was technically considered a, a, a convert. Now, I, I don't think that that should be at least in our part, corner of the Jewish world. I don't think that there should be um, any any challenge or problem or stigma attached to it. It's just a technicality of the of the arrangement and uh, and and can be handled very quickly and easily, especially when the child is very uh, very little. Um, uh, so uh, um, there are obviously going to be families who bristle at that, and and I and I feel badly about that. Um, uh, but uh, uh, but it, but it does uh, in some cases raise uh, raise those issues. Yeah. Um, so the the question of adultery is, in some senses, a a, a live one. Um, but I think that, uh, especially in our um, technologically and scientifically advanced time, um, we can really mitigate all all need to uh, to worry about uh, adultery as an issue when it comes to uh, to infertility because. There are lots of options available for parents, and I think that uh, that, that that we can be um, uh, uh, encouraging of parents to uh, to consider the the range of options, and we don't have to worry about issues. Like as that. long as we're talking about American and yeah, um, first, Go, going world, back first world society. Yeah, yeah, going back to Abe's comment um, as he's leaving. Uh, Hi, Abe. <laughs> the 
the book of Genesis, at least, doesn't seem to want to deal with the issue of male infertility. It goes out of its way to make That's sure it. you know that uh, Abraham and Jacob have plenty of other kids. Right. Uh, as one of their wives deals with the issues. Right. I'm not sure the Torah knew that there was such a thing as male infertility. Right. right? Um, uh, that's that that's that's true. Um, um, because certainly, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a prevalent theme in Genesis, especially of a uh, female infertility. Did the author? Hmm? Did the author of was 13th this, century? Yeah. Whoever he did, may he be, know or she may be. I, I'm not sure. I, I think that for a long time, <laughs> people assumed you that tell by the interpretation. You cannot tell. No. Yeah. Um, oh, you are you asking me? I, yes. Can I not? Uh, no. I uh, can you. No. Oh, okay, I didn't know if it was a loaded question or not. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about uh, uh, you know med- medieval scientific um, uh, viewpoints. My, my understanding, my limited understanding, is that um, is that so long as a, as as a um, so long as a male was uh, um, ana- anatomically intact mm-hmm. um, and functional. Um, uh, that uh, they assumed that uh, that uh, that that all men had the capacity for uh, for life, and if and if a couple couldn't conceive, it was it was likely the 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 woman's fault, the woman's problem. Um, uh, I I don't know for a fact if that's what people believe, but I think it I think it was. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which is also in part why, and Abe alluded to this, why um, it was so problematic for uh, for. Uh, for things like masturbation and uh, uh, and and male forms of contraception, uh, that uh, that the the all of the life giving potential was assumed to be within the within the male, uh, and the, just the life receiving potential and carrying potential was in was in the woman. Um, feminism really has taken us down a path that is um, we can't we can't in our society turn back from. That's right. Because it was a double-edged sword. Because when you start with the vote, mm-hmm. you want to go back that far. But uh, when women began to feel their potential mm-hmm. out of the house, mm-hmm. things changed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're right. You know, in in a uh, for 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 ancient and, and medieval wisdom traditions. That poses a, that can pose challenges, and we have to struggle with the uh, with with the uh, um, uh, relationship of those two things. But you know, there there are tremendous blessings that came that that have come with women's movement, and it's not that we can't turn back. I think that we shouldn't turn back. We just need to navigate those tensions and and uh, and and um, bring where we can the ancient tradition into uh, in, yeah into line. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you.